Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right. Welcome, guys. Episode, let's see where we're on, eight. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yay, that's exciting. That's, this is a privilege. This Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad to have you guys. So introduce yourselves, uh, kind of tell me who y'all are and what you do. Ladies first? Or? Oh, me first. Okay. okay. Um, my name is Becca. Um, I am a young adult in Shreveport Mosier, and I'm a speech therapist. And so I work at LSU um, Med School, and I see specifically children through the Children's Center with autism. And so I work with them doing feeding therapy, speech therapy, things like that. And then um, also I do early steps, which is early intervention. And so I go into homes and work with the parents on children who are speech delayed or feeding issues and things like that. Um, and so that's what I do for a living. And then um, with this guy over here, Drew, I lead a ministry called Yala, Young Adults Louisiana um, through Broadmoor Baptist. And so that is a fun thing to do as well. So Awesome, and how old are you? I am 25. Okay, so a young adult. Yeah. All right, Drew. Younger than uh, y'all, so. Yeah, for sure, younger <laughs> than us. Uh, my name is Drew Burnham, and uh, I am a also a young adult. And I, I like to claim being a young adult. I think you can claim it for a few years. Yeah, you're more still years. making the cut for, for a few <laughs> more years. Okay. Um, and I'm an attorney here in town. I work at a firm called Cookie and C. King Galloway. Uh, doing civil litigation stuff. So about half of that's probably oil and gas related. It's a lot of what Freeport Bossier economy is based on. And I love doing oil and gas work, but I also pretty much do everything that's not family law and not criminal law. Mm. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of unhappy attorneys out there you hear about, but I absolutely love my job. And, um, uh, but an, I also love what Becca and I get to do on Monday nights is uh, Young Adults Louisiana, Yala. And uh, so I know we're going to be talking about more about that later. But um, we also both work in a, a young, adult, young adult small group at church. Um, we both have worked with high school students for, for several years. Oh, yeah. Um, so we we both love doing doing that, just investing in people and helping people find community and uh, find a place where they can grow. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I mean, thank y'all both for coming on. I mean, I think one of the main goals of this podcast is to talk about young adult issues, you know, moving from kind of teenage years to adulthood mm -hmm. and what that's been like personally for you guys, but what that's like from a minister, ministry perspective, um, what you're seeing in the friends and the community. Mm -hmm. I think so many times, and it was my experience, is that, you know, that age is completely kind of forgotten when it comes to books and ideas and resources or literally and anything like no <laughs> yeah. one talks about it and it's this whole new life season of like hey i'm not in school anymore what is my purpose like i'm trying to figure this out so yeah yeah, yeah i mean i think we can get into kind of what yala is so um because i think that comes out of i know 318 live was a big thing in treeport right there's a couple other ones that yeah. are going on but it was kind of like hey how do we fill this gap 
um, for young adults. So whoever wants to start can tell me about that. Yeah, I think um, the idea for y'all came behind or came out of a place where um, young adults are super not an unreached people group because I think they know the gospel, but um, a people group that's forgotten about in church a lot because they're not parents. And so, and some of them aren't married and churches spend a lot of time investing in married couples and a lot of time investing in parents. And then a whole lot of time investing in you from when you're in elementary school to high school, they have all this programming and all of these people who are investing in you. And then you go to college and you get out of college and you try to learn the workforce life and there's kind of nothing there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, saw this huge need for young adults to be able to belong and have community um, and have worship together and be together and learn about topics that are super relevant to us, not just um, from Sunday morning preaching, but um, we really strive to do relevant topics um, and things like that. And so it's something we've prayed about for a really long time and launched last year. Um, I think in September of last year, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, probably into August. Into yeah. August, September. Oh, August 26th. It was my brother's birthday. That's funny. Nice. Um, and so, yeah. Happy we, birthday. Yeah, JT, <laughs> shout out. No. Um, and so we launched it last year, and then COVID happened and blew it all up. Um, and so we're in the middle of figuring out relaunching and things like that. But Yeah, we, 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 we kind of try to say it's where every young adult belongs because it's, mm-hmm. it's not just targeted towards a um, – a churched crowd or, or just people who go to, to Broadmoor. We want everybody to feel like this is a place where they can be known, mm-hmm. um, find community with other young adults, um, learn and grow, but also that it's a safe place to ask tough questions, uh, that it's a, it's a place where they can be authentic and, and sometimes church is not like that. Yeah. Sometimes church mm-hmm. can be a place where it's actually probably one of the more difficult places to ask tough questions about what I believe or what I'm supposed to be doing with my life or, I mean, just have doubts in general. Um, but we want, we want y'all, y'all to be a place where we can just all be vulnerable and all be known and all know that we're loved and, and belong as part of this community. So mm-hmm. we've been very blessed to see a, a great response to y'all and to have great speakers like you and starting um, well, I mean, you, you helped us out back in the spring before, before COVID shut us down, but also starting off our series this October. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited about being there. Um, and who else is on kind of the leadership team, uh, or who kind of started it? Tyler Hennessy was kind of the, the, uh, driving force starting Yala. He's, a uh, head of our, our docs of worship at, mm-hmm. at Broadmoor Baptist, okay. but there, there has been a, uh, a, a lot of team members over the over the years. Dylan Van Eaton is probably one of the key people uh, not here. He drives our social media and um, he kind is of visual incredibly stuff. Talented, He's and so talented. Yeah. We could not do anything without him. But but uh, Justin Rogers leads our music now. Um, Cameron Theodos, when he was here, he's, he's now moving on to another opportunity, but he helped out Yala a lot. He and mm-hmm. Courtney Theodos. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some other drivers? Jared Osborne has been a great encourager, great idea. Yeah. Uh, person for starting a community. Who else would you? Um, Dylan Brunson and Kevin Bruner lead our um, hospitality teams, so our greeting and helping people belong type of team. Yeah. Um, they're great. But it's if you go on so our leadership group, me, there's probably about 70 people. On yeah, there, yeah. So we can't they're go through really, everybody. But no, gosh, for sure. There's so, so many. So just shout out to all of those guys. Shout out to all of them. And, and ladies and 
and honestly, we named some of the people who are on staff, but right now Yala is pretty much exclusively run by volunteers. Mm -hmm. It's not people who are paid to be there. It's people who, who want to be there, who really identify with this community, have grown already in this community and just want to see it continue to blossom. That's awesome. So when is it? Monday nights. Seven o'clock. Every Monday. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's at Broadmoor Baptist. Broadmoor Baptist. Right. Exactly. So there's worship, hang out, and then food afterwards. Another thing I love, sorry about it, you did mention it's at Broadmoor Baptist. It is at Broadmoor Baptist. Broadmoor funds it, um, provides a location for it. Uh, but when you start breaking down who's coming, it's it's a lot of people that don't go to Broadmoor. Oh, for sure. I mean, even la Monday, whenever I talked in last year, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't go to Broadmoor, go to other churches or don't go to church at all. Right. You know, and that's kind of their Monday night church thing. So yeah. and we want it to be like that. We that want... was our vision. Yes. Yeah. Was that it would be a whole bunch of young adults, um, not divided by churches or, um, denominations. De or, yeah. That's the word I was thinking. Yeah. Denominations, but, um, really just want to know Jesus better and want to know more young adults in the community. Um, yeah. So it's cool that that vision has kind of come to life and that all the, I mean, we have people leading music from different churches, speakers from all over the area. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. And sorry, another thing that just popped in my head, seven o'clock is when the actual service starts. Um, but we start hanging out at six thirty before that. So come play games with us, grab a snack uh, or a drink or whatever we have out there and just build community talking with other young adults meeting them beforehand so if you're a young adult listen to this podcast show up early 6 30 uh we're uh, on the south side of the broadmoor baptist campus and come hang out with us before we get started at seven yeah we have fun it's awesome so what are what are some things i guess to get into kind of the covid stuff what yeah. um what are some ways that personally you guys have been impacted this year as young adults um by covid and what do you kind of see in, in your own personal experiences, but also in like the lives of other people? Yeah. Uh, COVID hit me pretty hard early on. I'm, I'm an extrovert and um, I just really, I don't, I think it actually hit my introverted friends probably a little bit uh, sl slower to hit them, Yeah. but it, it hit everybody. I'm not saying just it only hit extroverts, but man, immediately when COVID started, started shutting down, uh, different community of stuff that the things that I'm a part of it really had me down just kind of like where am I investing how can I invest in people who's investing in me now that I'm isolated and stuck at my house uh, I can't even go to yeah. work I'm working from home so mm -hmm. I can't even interact with people that I usually do on a, on a work basis I'm, I'm paid to interact with um, so it was it was a kind of a, a strike at my identity of helping people or, or wanting to invest in people, um, it kind of struck it. Okay. What that part of me is gone. Who am I now? Who mm. can I be in isolation? Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and especially so, right. Not married, not having kids, right. You know, you're not as a young adult, if you're not married, you don't have kids. You're not, um, like in a house with other people that you can just play in the backyard. Like for me, I get to play with my kids and see my wife and yeah. there is some built in community. Right. Even though a lot of people would say that drives me crazy now that I'm having to do this every day. But at least you had people. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, Drew had roommates. I had roommates. I had roommates. <laughs> I don't uh, have roommates. So I broke the rules a little bit with, with, uh, down the a few months down the line, my girlfriend and I started, you know, interacting again more than just on our phones on FaceTime. But, uh, no, it was it was it was hard to date during COVID. I bet. Good grief! I'm very thankful uh, that that survived COVID. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But it was tough. Yeah. It's, I mean, talk talk about that a little bit. So you were dating somebody, COVID hit, and then you felt like we can't even go on dates. We can't see each other. Yeah. So it, it kind of turned for, for several weeks. It was like we were FaceTiming each other every day, um, texting, obviously. And but so not was, the same. I would I would just like I would drop off dinner and flowers at her house or like uh, we would like try to like meet in the front yard sometimes and like social distance on, on on different parts of the yard it was so weird people thought we were probably crazy but they also probably understood it's covid we're trying to social distance yeah. she had parents that she was seeing all the time and so she was careful about who she saw i have parents who are kind of in that vulnerable range or we identified early on as like the people who are the most vulnerable and so we were i was trying to be careful uh so i could take care of them and and so if they got mm-hmm. sick and so everybody was just so tiptoeing around each other. Dating wise, it was just very hard to connect emotionally when you're doing it on a screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a, it was a tough time for our relationship, but thankfully the Lord brought us through. We both had the the right goal in mind and knew this was a, a season, um, and just kind of bore it. But That's it, awesome. it was What's her it name? Was, uh, Aaron Carson. Nice. Uh, shout out to her. She's a, she's a counselor too. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah counselor at Broadmoor Baptist. Awesome. That's cool. What about for you? Um, For me, I would say, I think the first couple of weeks of COVID were kind of fun because I got a break from like the busyness of life. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to um, kind of like chill out and read books again and hang out at my house and not feel like I had to be somewhere all the time. Um, And so at first it it felt like a little bit of a break and I was like, okay, this is kind of nice. Um, but then it kept going and kept going and kept going. Um, and so personally, I struggle with a lot of anxiety and a lot of anxiety about the unknown and not being able to control things and all of my normal coping mechanisms I couldn't do because of COVID. Like I couldn't distract myself by hanging out with other people or things like that because that was kind of taken away from me. Um, and so I had to learn to, or I guess relearn to rely on the Lord for a lot of that because, um, it felt like everything else was gone. Um, and, um, it was, it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And two weeks before COVID started, I had put in my two weeks at my job to start a new job. And so I was supposed to start a new job on April 1st. Um, and thankfully I was able to start, but I was also working from home until June. Um, and so just the transition of a new job and the transition of everything with COVID world being so different and, everything getting canceled summer wise and things like that. Um, and Drew and I were both leading high schoolers at that time and they were seniors. And so, um, I was honestly looking forward to so many things with them, their graduation parties, their graduation, um, sending them off to college well and things like that. And they were all sad that all of that was getting taken away. And so it's figuring out how to celebrate those things in a COVID world. And, um, like he said, I was FaceTiming a lot of people, which was fun at the beginning because you're like, oh, I'm still connecting with people. But <laughs> but then at the end of the day, you're like, I don't really feel like I connected with anybody today because it was just all through screens. And then I think everyone said like Zoom weary or something like that because <laughs> yeah. like Zoom was, I was so tired of Zooming. I was like, I'd rather just sit at my house by myself than see people through my computer. Um, and so ended up getting a dog during COVID. So I got a COVID puppy and she is so much fun, even out of COVID. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of anxiety for me. It was a lot of like, um, unknown job wise, unknown friend, like, you know, 
um, and no one knew how long it was going to last. Like, it wasn't like, okay, just make it to May 1st, and then everything will be back to normal, because mm-hmm. we don't even know when normal's coming or if it's coming, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I did love about the COVID period that it seemed for a while that everyone was pulling together, like, on the same team. Like, we're, we're fighting this as a country, you know, we're yeah. fighting this as a state, as a community. Like we're, a uniting factor of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now a, that seems to, second. Have, seems to <laughs> have broken down. But now I did love that unifying, we're on, we're on the same team thing. And it did r- remind me, as you were talking about, um, getting in the word and finding different coping mechanism. There was a threat, and, there were, and it happened for many of my young adult friends, that old coping mechanisms, pornography being, being a major one in the young adult community i think it might have been in other communities as well but coping mechanisms to deal with isolation or feeling unwanted Mm -hmm. or feeling unloved reared their ugly head like never before oh for sure yeah and so um it's hard to to when when people are struggling with that it's hard during it was hard during covid to to try to help them help me and because that was an old coping mechanism i had to had to fight too is trying to help people through that in healthy ways when you're not there when mm-hmm. you're when you're facetiming them or when you're on zoom with them and, and so, when you're going through the same thing when you're going through the same thing that's what's unique about covid right is like as yeah. ministers as counselors as people who are used to you know same thing with pornography in my life like yeah it's like you can know all the things you can you can know all the coping skills but when all that's removed and you're isolated and you're alone and then you're all going through it the same and you're like, well, you shouldn't do that. But like, I'm kind of struggling exactly. with that too. And so like, I don't really know what to do with this. And you know, whether it's eating or porn or, you know, anger, whatever your thing is, right? right? I mean, it's not just that. I mean, there's a host of issues that people use to cope that were, you know, like you said, rearing their heads and going, oh, well, I thought I had this. I had all these things in place. I mean, I mm-hmm. work with people every week to say, okay, here's your, your three circle exercise. Here are the things you're going to do to make sure that you don't act out. Here's the middle circle, which helps you with slippery slope behavior. And here's your relapse. Well, the entire outward circle was just gutted, you know, go to the gym, go, I mean, at some point go for a walk, like they shut the parks down. Like you couldn't even go outside and go to the park. So it was just go to Bible study, you know, meet with people, go to coffee, get outside with people. And all of those were taken. It's hard to expect people just to be able to maintain, you know, all of their sobriety and whatever the coping mechanism it's mm-hmm. almost impossible right yeah. i mean we know nothing is impossible with god but the reality is we're humans mm-hmm. and i think yeah. a lot of christians struggle with that like wait a second i spent all this effort and all this work and now that's all killed and here i am kind of struggling with these old things and i have so much shame and I, now i'm alone mm-hmm. yep and so I- yeah so coping mechanisms that uh it, it covid forced me to find better coping mechanisms that don't involve community because most of mine involved community and right. reaching out to people and, and, and right, engaging so. with people and so uh reading books i mean you've probably heard people say that ad nauseum um i didn't read as many <laughs> as most people but i did spend some more time but one of the the major thing for me is actually quieting my mind and going outside and just spending time in nature mm. Um, and so just, I, I've really loved the, um, the part of my life that's blossomed since COVID of, of getting outside, of taking walks, working out, just going to a, a schoolyard, like gym and doing pull-ups and, and do, working out out there. And, um, 
but also prayer. My prayer life has just really blossomed over COVID uh, like never before. And that has been a huge benefit that's carried on as we've restrictions have, have loosened up. Um, just having that communion with God each and every day, morning, evening, um, throughout the day has just borne a lot of fruit. That's awesome. Borne a lot of fruit. Yeah, that is cool. I think the hardest part of COVID too, in my own life and in the life of um, young adults that I've talked to is that your purpose was kind of stripped away um, because a lot of people either lost their jobs and, you know, in our generation, work is a big thing. Um, it's where I spend the majority of my time. And so um, you have no job or you're working from home. And so you're not like I was trying to do teletherapy with two year olds, not happening. You know right. what I mean? Like completely not happening. Um, and so that identity of work, that identity of being a friend, um, and planning events and things like that was all stripped away into where you were like, okay, like what's my purpose of being here now? Cause I can't go anywhere but my house, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just this like, okay, Lord, like clearly you've ordained this season for the whole world. And so what are you doing in it? Like, what are, what am I supposed to be doing in it? What am I supposed to be learning in it? Um, and so honestly, COVID was a huge growth chapter for me. Um, just diving into some of those types of things and, so I don't know. That's good. Um, one of the things I want to talk about in y'all's generation in general, like you, you mentioned, I think career, individualism, self-reliance, self-focus, you know, I think that's a big thing, um, you know, with 18 to 30 year olds in America and COVID really stripped everybody of that. You know, all the plans we had, all the preparations, the schooling, the, you know, the different things that you had to do. And then all of a sudden that's just canceled. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? I, I, it was the same way for me, but like I'm into my career, right? I've already gotten my license. I'm already doing my thing. So it, it stunk, but in a different way, I wasn't just starting out and it mm -hmm. felt, it felt like, you know, you guys really got the ax on a lot of the things that you were just getting motivated and spent all this energy and effort, you know, to do so. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that yeah. it, it's just hard because you were like, okay, I've been preparing for this for so long. Like, um, for speech therapy, I had to go to college and I had to get my master's degree and things like that. And I've been out a couple of years. And so, um, but just like starting a new job and being like, I, I want to do it well, but how do I do it well in this season where no one's there um, and no one's at work anymore? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I think in our culture, that career driven like mentality is huge. Um, and that's where we find so much of our identity um, as young adults is in what we do. It's where we find our friendships. It's where we find... Mm -hmm. Um, people and things like that. So, yeah. Um, one of the things that I see in my office all the time is, you know, before COVID. So let's go back a little bit because, you know, COVID has kind of taken our focus and, and a lot of the issues that young adults deal with, we kind of kind of go, oh, well, COVID did this. And so now we're dealing with this. But, you know, I was speaking all over the place last year and the year before. And one of the things that was already happening was a huge rise in anxiety, depression, um, suicide within young adults, especially late teens, early 20s. Um, is that something that you guys have experienced um, within the ministry, within your own lives? Um, I will say I struggle with anxiety. Um, and it's something that um, as I've opened up about it and talked to my friends about it, um, I've figured out that they struggle with it too. Um, and so it's something that, um, yeah, I think a lot of young adults are struggling with anxiety. I think a lot of young adults are struggling with depression because, um, and honestly, this sounds like such a cliche answer, but I think a lot of it has to do with social media. Um, I think social media has, 
created this culture of comparison. And so you're comparing your own life to people's lives who have been photoshopped or 15 second snippets of other people's lives. Um, and it causes a lot of comparison and a lot of, um, like self doubt and things like that. Um, to where you start having more thoughts of anxiety and depression and things like that and suicide as well. I mean, we've seen it in our ministry a little bit. Um, but, but I think it's just people are holding themselves and holding other people up to such a high social media standard. Um, that you just can't live up to it and mm-hmm. it's starting to affect our mental health. So, yeah, I heard somebody say like, uh, you know, the problem with your generation is that you don't know you're in the matrix. Right. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's what's called an age gap. So we don't, we don't, everybody's always, their parents have said like, Oh, kids these days, you know, or the parent, you know, the kids have said, mm-hmm. you don't understand us because you're old. And for most of history, like, somewhat that's true, but your parents actually did understand, right? Like, they understood what it was like to have friends, to call people, to date, to go out, to yeah. to go to school. Um, and so, like, I'm 37, so my dad and my grandfather's experience of high school is very similar to mine, right? We called people on the phone, we wrote letters, we engaged with them a specific way. But then all of a sudden, right, in 2007, 2010, when the cell phone entered and social media entered into the world that's all you guys have known at your age, right? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know about you, Drew, at 30. When did you get social media for the first time? So, uh, high school. Right. So, yeah. High and school. so, Becca, I mean, I was what? eighth grade. Right. Mm-hmm. So, your introduction from puberty into communicating and socializing was immediately met with social media. Facebook, I'm sure, was original. Oh, wow. Right, Instagram, yeah. Snapchat, you know, all these things. Now we got TikTok, we got, you know, a million other things. I'm sure I'm out to date even in the last, like, two months from what people are using WhatsApp. But the reality is, is that that's never been that way in human history. So now when kids are saying, like, you don't understand, like, the adults really don't understand because they're what we call analog to digital converts. You know, I talked about this mm-hmm. Monday a little bit. You know, we, I remember writing, you know, getting a map out in the car and going, you, you know, y'all have never map experienced quest. that, right? That's not been a thing. And you're not used to being in a social setting where everyone doesn't know everything about you. You know, it's like I find myself, you know, I got off social media in January from, I'm on it, but for a business page, but posting anything personal, because I found myself being like, I'd see a friend and they'd be like, oh, I heard so-and-so, you know, I saw you did this, this, and this. And it's like, well, what are we going to talk about now? Because now you know everything. everything. Mm -hmm. But you've, like, all of your friends have always known everything. But not only do all of your friends know everything, everybody knows yeah, everything. Yeah. And so it's like, not that you're comparing yourself to the 200 people at your high school or the 20 people at your job, but you're comparing like to the world. Like mm-hmm. they're like, never have we known this much information about other people without actually knowing them. Right. And um, it's not real. And it's not real. It's a curated version yeah. Yeah. of what they're going through. And so, yeah. And, that, and while, while our generation very much values authenticity and vulnerability. Even the vulnerability that we see on, on media is a curated version of what people want you to see of what is vulnerable. And so mm-hmm. it's very, and if you don't have that inner personal relationship with someone where you can face to face, see what's going on and, and open up to someone, you, if you don't have that, you're going to, you're going to be very hesitant to, to ever open up to someone on social media, ever, ever open up to someone, um, 
period. So I think the reason, one of the reasons why we're having so much anxiety and so much depression is that people just feel like they're bottled up or they can't be who they really are or, or be vulnerable with, with people because of this pressure to um, be best or, or, or to, to this pressure to keep what people see the of facade. you very yeah the, the mask up mm-hmm. to, to use a 2020 thing the mask yeah um so yeah I, I think that's one of the things just briefly touching back on yala plug it back in sure um is that what we don't want we, we want people to be able to break down the mask we want people to be able to ask vulnerable uh deep questions to be able to have doubts to be able to 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 know that healing is possible that's why it's so important that we started off this this series of in October started Yala back with mental health that you're focusing on Clint um, it's because yes anxiety and depression are, are huge issues for for our community and they're only getting worse mm-hmm. um, because even though we are so connected we are have never I don't think ever been so isolated mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean because the question goes like are you connected though right because we're connected through opportunity but are we connected emotionally? And I think that that's what you mentioned is, you know, of course, the, you know, the goal of the podcast is saying asking why. And as you're talking, like we're talking about it, but I'm st- we're still missing why that is, right? We're still not getting to the root of why is it that, that this age can't talk to one another, can't sit down. And I think one, and the answer, in, in my opinion, is that you haven't learned to. Right. You've you've had a pacifier with social media allowing you to communicate and connect and think that you're connecting and communicating when in reality, like you said, it's easier to say, hey, here's a picture of me sad and I'm going to write a little blurb about my anxiety and my depression. I'm going to be vulnerable about this. And this is powerful. And I'm not hating on people who do that. But what's harder is to sit down with somebody at dinner and say, hey, <laughs> I've really been struggling this week. Yeah. Like, this has not been a good week. Like, my anxiety is high. I've had panic attacks. Like, I need you to pray with me or something like that to where it's like, all right, you actually have to tell it in person because you have to deal with the other person's reaction in person. Yes. And you can't mm-hmm. be like, I'm going to post this and I'm going to put my phone away and not care what anybody thinks. Like, that's not our human nature. Like, we care what people think. And so oh, yeah. whenever you're having to do it face-to-face, I get to read every cue and every facial expression you have as I tell you what I need to tell you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, and, that's hard. And like never before, like I said, you weren't trained to because your parents, you know, didn't transition with you into this world, right? They're still analog they they know how to talk face to face i mean they're not very good at it and they're all traumatized too and we can get into that whole thing i mean i think that's part of the problem right is that the church culture in the world is a is a a vast history in the last 50 60 years of adults being very traumatized never getting therapy never engaging with jesus in a way that changes their hearts and their minds Mm -hmm. and then they parent right right and that's always been the case for a a thousand three thousand years but then that epigenetics is what we, you know, the study of how things get passed down is it happened. And then you guys entered into social media tech world and no one ever recovered. It was not like everybody recovered and then was like, okay, now we're going to do social media. Like Now let's take on this challenge. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, we're not ready. <laughs> no. And we, and we weren't. No. And, and now we're only 10 years in really seven to 10 years in. And everybody's starting to scramble and then social dilemma and these movies come out because people are realizing like 
we are in a downward downward you know spiral mm-hmm. and but you guys are how i mean eighth grade so that was how long ago oh gosh you're gonna make me sound old now um I don't know, 12 years ago? Right. So you've been 12 years into something that we're now realizing is super toxic and not real and manipulative and geared to literally lie to you and change your whole perception of the world. Mm -hmm. And we're going, I wonder why people have anxiety and depression and want to off themselves, right? I heard somebody say the other day, um, you know, and, and I feel the same way as a counselor. Like when people come in, they're like, I'm struggling with anxiety. Like, I'm not surprised. Right. I'm not like, oh, that's a mystery to me why you're struggling with anxiety and depression or you're suicidal. Mm -hmm. What's a mystery to me is how everybody isn't struggling with all of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like how we can live in a world that we know we're being killed essentially by the mental health issues of today and that anybody can hurt us and that anybody can betray us and that anybody can run us over with a car and that we can walk around without anxiety and depression. Like that's what's a mystery to me, and yeah. I, I think the gospel kind of answers that—that that peace that surpasses all understanding, mm-hmm. that the world doesn't understand. That it's not that you're going to get to a place where everything's perfect and there's harmony, and you're never going to have anxiety or depression. It's that while you're going through it, you can still have peace of mind. And that was that was a big thing for me going through um, counseling with anxiety and things like that. Is it's not. I don't know. I think some people think like Jesus is this magic pill that's going to take away my anxiety. And I have prayed that he takes away my anxiety so many times Mm -hmm. and I still wake up and struggle with it. Like it is still a daily battle for me. And so it's like, um, it's not this like magic cure all. I pray about it and it goes away. It's a like battle in my mind where I have to quote scripture and I have to bring it to the Lord and pray moment by moment that he gives me the peace and the joy that I need to make it through the day. But it's not like, it's not like, oh, just give it to Jesus and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I do give it to Jesus and I still struggle with it. You know what I mean? Yes. And so, um, and learning like, yes, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Um, but, but that it is a moment by moment, day by day battle. It's not, uh, oh, I, I fought it. I'm good. Like I conquered that one back in college. No, you know, no, um, absolutely. So. Because you would have to change the entire worldview and paradigm of how you live. If, you know, if the, if the issue to your anxiety and my anxiety and everybody's anxiety that has it, at this point we need to realize, like, if you don't have it, you're the unique unicorn in the world, right? It, it no long, I mean, I think there's a lot of shame around mental health issues or has yeah. been for a long time. And I don't want to normalize it and just say, well, it's okay for you to be anxious or it's okay for you to be depressed. Like, no, you yeah, need to be working on it. Yeah, yeah you're not yeah. isolated. And that's not because you're uniquely broken. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. because there is a world that we're in that is systemically set up to cause fear and anxiousness and shame because everything is marketing to you, telling you you're not enough, that you need more, that you have to have this. I mean, even the edge, then you'll be enough, then you'll be happy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just chasing that carrot, you know, in front of you and you, and you, you can get all the carrots in the world, but then you're still, you need another carrot. Mm -hmm. And I think even more so for your generation education and this idea of like, you, get, you need to get a bachelor's. And now, like, a bachelor's is, like, you can't even do Nothing. anything with that. Yeah, It's a you, high school degree now. Yeah, you yeah. have it to really have a, is, like, though. You have to get something else. Yeah, like, a master's is what you basically have to have. You know, and I wonder in the next decade what that's going to look like because a bachelor's degree is a dime a dozen. You know, if you're all going for the same jobs and competing for the same careers, it's like, oh, no, that's that's not enough. And, and now college costs so much money talk about anxiety yeah i think that's one of the one of the contributing factors is that we a lot of young adults are having to delay starting a family 
delay um, getting married, delay um, even having a job because of that educational factor. Mm -hmm. But then you pile on the, the cost, the extreme, extremely high cost that you can, you can also delay by just accumulating debt um, of, of getting all those things. That's also an anxiety producing uh, reality that young adults are having to deal with is the delay, uh, looking around you and seeing every a, a lot of people starting families, or a lot of people starting relationships, and you're delaying it, and then which again I will add is because you're on social media looking at it. Yes. So that I just want to link the problem for people because okay. that's part of the issue is like if you didn't have social media at all, would it be so delayed? Would you be in such a crisis? Right? Would you be parallel? Like yes, you might feel behind. But the reality is, is like, it's like when, when you get pregnant, you look around and everybody's pregnant. When you, when you buy a truck, everybody has that truck. When some, you get your hair done, everybody dyed their hair blonde, whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. it's the same thing with this. Like, so I'm not saying there's not a problem, yeah. but I'm saying the problem gets hyper-focused and your anxiety goes up because you're not looking at your two or three friends who are struggling with this. You're looking at 10,000 people like people in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. are on Instagram posting about how they're in debt. You know, it's like, does that make sense? So yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. No. Yeah. And I was, yeah, that's really what I was trying to, trying to link it back to is that we've, we have this comparison problem and comparison is so accessible. We're not just comparing to our neighbors and what car they drive, they drive into their driveway. Um, we're comparing, all of our the thousands of friends that we've accumulated over the years and their status um, in life or, or where, what they've achieved. And then suddenly we're not enough um, or we're not doing well enough because somebody else has something that we want. Um, but I think you're speaking directly to the debt part because that is unique to you guys as young adults, mm -hmm. you know, is that because you have to get extra degrees and extra things, you're spending so much time and energy and money, but then it's not, paying off in the way that you thought it was going to. Right. Yeah. You know, people get a history degree and they spend $60,000 and then they're, you know, and an coaching job. It's yeah. never going to ever pay that 60,000 back. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're not good at handling money. No, nobody I mean, taught so, you to. Yeah. We've never like we, we've handled, we're handling tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of, of, of dollars of, of debt or, um, or maybe just having an income for the first time too. Like, how do I budget? How do I do all those things? That's a, that's a, that's a stressor. We, we've, these are really important decisions that we don't feel equipped for mm -hmm. ready for. And, and that's also anxiety producing. Uh, I'm not saying other, other generations haven't dealt with, um, money issues. I think that's probably been a stressor since humanity existed is how am I going to put food on the table this, the next time. Um, but it, the, the pressure of it, because of, of the amount of debt, the amount of, of money we're dealing with is, is I think, new. Um, but also something that's new is instant gratification mm -hmm. has never been more available to us. Um, we have Amazon that will just pop it to your door the next day now. Yeah, I'm mad um, when it's like two days. I'm like, what? Well, I, I ordered this Kylo Ren mask for my son. It's not here yet. It's been three days. Why? He's ready to play with it. Well, excuse me. <laughs> frankly, that's ridiculous. Uh, but, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but no, we, we, we have instant gratification that I can watch any movie we want to on our phone. Or we can, oh, yeah. we can pull up the game on our phone. We can, uh, we can do anything we want almost instantaneously now. Or, or more things instantaneously than we ever have before and we want that same thing for our life we want that house we want that our friend just got with the great decor we want that now not to we don't want to have to save up for that no. um and so card. and so there's just yeah um 
instant gratification is also uh, something we've we've got to learn to be patient. Yep. Um, well, I think that's with. one call that Christ, you know, tells us. I mean, all the way to heaven is deferring our reward. Mm. You know, I think sometimes we think Amen. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do therapy. I'm going to do all these things, and the goal is that I arrive. Right. Mm -hmm. That somehow if I finally do enough work, if I finally make money, if I finally get this education, if I finally meet this girl, if I finally meet this guy, mm -hmm. I'm going to arrive at this place where I can finally relax. Then I can have everything I want. Yes. And that's heaven. Yeah. It's like, not going to be here. Yeah. At all. Ever. <laughs> so we have to figure out how as young adults do we learn that lesson? Like how do we realize that, it, that if that's the truth, then that's not the goal. Right. That mm -hmm. the journey, the process is the goal that experiencing the kingdom periodically, right? But less often and deferring mm -hmm. our rewards is really the goal. And I think for your generation, young adults, we're, there has, there's going to have to be a significant shift because you started out in a deficit in a way that nobody else has. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. and I know that this, you know, sounds crazy to people, but like I said, Monday, I really do think that if you're 18, and you got social media or you were 12 and you got social media and you're 30 now or you're 25 now, you've never not had it. And it is shaping your neurology. It's setting you up for dopamine and addiction. It's setting you up to not be able to physically defer your reward. And yeah. if you don't take a break from it and detox, you, you don't know yourself, you don't know your friends and you'll never be able to compete against the dopamine drip that is your phone, that is social media. And so I'm not saying social media is evil. I think it's amazing. There's there's a lot of good things about it. But as it exists, it's way more toxic than it is beneficial. Mm -hmm. And so I just challenge people that are listening that are out there, you know, get off all of it, you know, for six months, make a plan, get off of it, you know, and the plan is, hey, friends, can three or four of you do this together with me? Right. And let's try this together and let's meet for coffee and let's get back to some things that maybe these old fogies who are 37, you know, that they used to do. Because that's the thing, like there are a lot of things that old people say or older people say that's ridiculous. And it, it's just like, well, that's just different. But this is actually a reality. And we know that statistically the suicide rates increase 200 percent. We know that that parallels with being on social media. Mm -hmm. We know that people are literally dying. Right. And their mental and emotional health is in the toilet. But yet we're not, we will not stop doing it, which is kind of the, like, that's <laughs> literally the, the definition of, yeah. of addiction is yeah. when you're doing something over and over again, expecting a different result. Like that's the definite de definition of insanity. You know, you're doing okay. it over and over again, despite the consequences, you continue to use it, even though it's not giving you any positive outcome. So yeah. the question is, right, why is that, why won't we do it? Well, I, wow. I, I feel like you just said get some get some friends to do it with yeah. you. I feel like that's one of the the issue the obstacles is we we feel like we're going to lose our friend we're going to disconnect from our friends like that's how we connect with our friends so much and keep track of them is not by a phone call it's not by meeting up for lunch or coffee it's by social media and, and we we're afraid of of losing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say that I've had a friend who got off of it um, probably a year and a half ago and has not gotten back on. And that is one of the things she'll say is that like, I don't know what's going on in my friends' lives because they won't tell me. And so yeah. she's like, I saw somebody the other day and she was like, "Did you see that I was pregnant?" And she was like, "Nope, had no idea. Like, can yeah. you just tell me?" And so I think that the one of the reasons we won't get off is we fear not having the information. Mm -hmm. um, and not being able to connect with people. For um, sure. So again, the real question is... Is it actually connection? Yes, because <laughs> what we're saying is it's not. 
Yeah. And so there, I'm talking about the church now, like, you know, I understand the secular worldview, but as far, as far as us as young adults and Christians who are trying to move into parenting, who are going to move into raising another generation of people who are, you know, we believe hope in the world, who are light in the darkness. If we don't get this together, then we're saying, I can't, oh, I'm going to lose these things, but I'm, I'm losing things that I don't actually have. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is your brain playing tricks on you? Yes. It is. You know, so again, it takes community. Like we've got to have a conversation with each other and say, we're not going to get off forever. Like we don't think the world's going to work with no social media. Like that's going to be a thing. And we want to be able to engage in the world. We want to be able to be a part of that world. But three months, six months, I say six months because it resets your, you know, three months, 90 days, especially will reset your brain. So we'll, let's let's downplay a little bit. Let's say ninety days. Okay, well, I could do ninety days. Six right? months sounds a lot. Okay, oh my gosh. ninety days is, is enough to see, reset your neurology, right? When we, when I work with sex addicts or if I work with drug addicts, like your main goal is you know no acting out for ninety days to reset your neurology. So as a church, can we, in individual groups and in discipleship groups, you know try it, right? And it's so scary. I get it, but the reality is is the alternative is death. Death emotionally, death spiritually, because you're just putting it off, right? Because when you try to get married and your spouse is on their phone every night while you're trying to parent, it's really, really annoying. I mean, I see it every day in my office. One of the main fights that 35 and 40 and 50-year-olds are having is somebody being on their phone for work on social media that leads to affairs, emotional affairs, you know, they're not playing with their kids because they're sitting on the couch playing on their phone. I mean, I've gone to these Bible studies. I've gone to these things where people my age who aren't even, you, you know, sucked into it as much as y'all are, mm-hmm. it, are so on their phone that they can't even connect and be engaged. So, again, it's the illusion that if you get off of it, you're not going to have connection. But you don't have real connection anyway. You just have dopamine. Yeah. You just have addiction. You just have, like, what's it matter if you know somebody's pregnant? Honestly, like if they're not telling you, right? Yeah. If you're not at their shower, if you're not sitting at lunch with them, what, how does it really impact their health? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it does. What, what it's not actually through? connected. It's an addiction to information. Yeah, it's just uh, information. Sorry, I went away from the microphone. Yeah, yeah addiction to, to information is, is, is like we, we, we just feel like we have to know what we need to know and we don't really need to know what we need is connection. And that's, and, um, you know, we, we, we were talking about earlier. I mean, please got, argue. I mean, it's no, fine for you to argue with me and like say, no, that's crazy. We can't do it that way. No. And, and uh, so trying to, uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll turn this back a little bit on the church. It, we, it keeps on, it keeps on coming up. Sure. But, um, for young adults, church oftentimes does not seem like a safe place mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like a place where we can belong and find community because it doesn't seem authentic. Um, we, oftentimes young adults grow up in the church and, and we, we see people act a certain way on Sunday and we, we see a completely different person at home or we see our mom and dad, you know, go to, to be good Christians and be admired in the church. And then we go home and, and they're yelling and arguing and getting divorces just like anybody else in, yep. in, in the world. Um, and so it just seems in not not authentic and so when we when we strike out on our own and we do our own thing church doesn't seem vital Mm -hmm. because i just don't want to play that game anymore right i don't want to play that game true but also i think it's i think 
churches have a hard time connecting with young adults. And so if the only thing I'm doing from church is going and watching a sermon and watching a worship service, I can do that in my bed on Facebook. Uh You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to... I don't have to go to the actual place anymore. I can just find it on Facebook. But but I would argue with that is you're missing the actual connection of the church, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that, like... Well, that brings up the whole topic of should, you know, should church be on social, on social media, media and engaged in the way they are with something that's actually not giving them what they want, right? And that's going to be a big question after COVID because I've heard, of, you know, Wes and I talked about this in episode two, I think, but, you know, is our church is going to continue to be heavily focused on, you know, people being able to access church? We have all the access in the world. Because now they say 10,000 people saw our service and zero people walked through your doors and were like connected and actually equipping each other to do the gospel, mm-hmm. you know? And so. Um, or share the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that young adults are craving that actual connection. And sometimes you don't get that in church when you just show up for corporate worship. Like that actual small group study is important. Um, right. So. Yeah, it's almost like Jesus modeled that or something like I don't, that. You should he? have some twelve people around you and do life with like most of your life together. Super yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's why that's one of the things that um, we want to be as Yala is just an open door where people can plug in and find that that community that they actually wanted in that church should have provided them from the get go, but that might not have. Um, yeah, and, and church is made up of people, right? So yeah, it's flawed. Yes, because if people are, yeah, I mean, to, who who said that a church is is not some you know place where perfect people are? It's actually a hospital where people go to get better. Right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. So you're going to find people that are hurting, um, and that can because they're hurting, they can hurt you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a place where we all hopefully can hurt together and grow and heal. Yeah, which brings me to the other part of young adults and the idea of consuming. Mm-hmm. And going to church to get something out of it, yeah. right? People. Yeah. So we're, you know, the problem is you've got these generations of parents who are traumatized, who have passed it down. You, you know, you don't know how to share. You've seen this inconsistency in your own house. You don't think church is a viable option for anything because when you show up, you don't get any answers. And then we've kind of moved into now we're just the consumer who were saying, well, I don't really like that music. Like they don't sound like Hillsong. Like you know, it's like <laughs> it's all this stuff because you're. You're as a young adult, you're used to being able to get what you want when you want it. And why would I listen to this person who I don't really like their voice mm-hmm. when I can go over here and this is going to be really good and the mic's really good and the quality's really good and they throw glitter down from the, you know, stage and I mean it's insane. Yeah, but also like our pastor right now is walking through Romans and what if I didn't want to walk through Romans? Like what <laughs> exactly. if I was like I can go to this podcast and hear somebody talk about dating because that's what I really like that's what I need to hear right now instead of like being open to what the Lord wants to tell me through Romans. I'm like, "No, I want to hear this right now." And I can cuz we have all this access to information instead Absolutely. of, you know. So That's good, which again means you have to be able to self-regulate yourself. And, and, and do both mm-hmm. and realize what the lane of Sunday morning is to go and be engaged in community. And some of that's on the church. Mm-hmm. We have to do a better job of making that an opportunity, right? I think Broadmoor does do a really good job of pushing small group and every member missionary and, and community. Um, but the American church in general, all of us have fallen into this individualism, capitalism, like business oriented culture and I think young people are showing up desperate and in pain and anxious and depressed 
and they're like, this is not meeting me where I'm at, you know, and I can go back on social media and watch something else and get what I need exactly when I need it. And there's no room for the Holy spirit. There's no room for, you know, your selfishness and your immediate gratification to kind of be whittled out. And there are, there are plenty of places where people can go to, to find community. Um, if you, if you want to go to a bar, you can, you can go hang out with people at a bar. If you want to, um, go join a sport, a team, like, uh, just go play softball or, or soccer. Um, but what, what people actually really need is, is connection, not just community. being around people. Yep. So we need that, those communities that really connect us and help us be known and help and, and be encouraged and be challenged. Um, and, and how, so, and a person can only do that if they know you. Right. If you share your vulnerabilities and you share your, share your flaws. Yeah. But if you do that, they can reject you. And then we're going back Ooh. into the like, there we are, you know, no, that's good. I mean, Becca, you're picking up on it. Like that's the point. Our biggest fear is disconnection is rejection. Mm-hmm. And for most young people, they've experienced that at home. 50% of them parents have separated, meaning their primary caregiver who they're supposed to understand all of life through their safety, their security, their attachment, their connection, one of them left. And then we're supposed to, from seven and eight and nine, go on in relationships thinking they're not going to fail and, and reject us. Yeah. yeah. But we don't recover from that. Right? we never went to counseling for <laughs> Hey, I'll, no. I will say that for sure. Yeah, and not just counseling, but a rela- whatever the relationship looks like in which you connect with somebody and share your junk and they walk you through that it's not your fault. Yeah. Right, that you're a victim, that you're going through trauma, that you're going through abuse, that this was not supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And once you accept that that happened and it was wrong, then you can move out of the victim seat and take personal responsibility for what you do move, moving forward. Yeah. But I think there are a lot of young adults who think because their parents gave them money, they paid for their college, they, you know, they did well, that they should be okay. I shouldn't have anxiety. I shouldn't be de- depressed. I shouldn't have these weird responses. I shouldn't be socially awkward. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you know, what's hard too, is that like one of the things after you move from the victim stage and taking personal responsibility and stuff is that reflection stage where you look at how God used it in your own life. And when you can look back and say like, wow, that sucked and that wasn't supposed to happen. But like Romans eight said, the Lord used it for good. And mm-hmm. I think as a generation, we're bad at sitting back and reflecting and mm-hmm. saying like, wow, COVID was hard, but this is what I learned through it. This is what I'm taking forward from it and things like that. But just being able to sit down in the presence of the Lord and reflect on where you were and where he brought you and how he used that in your life to bring you to like, to equip you to do something different or something like that. But that like, sitting still and reflecting on it is a hard place to be, mm-hmm. but I think a necessary one if we want to move forward from it. So, yeah, I think that so means, I think you have to love yourself to be able to do that. Right. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, the core issue is that they don't, we don't want to sit with ourselves because we don't like ourselves very much. So we numb with this Netflix or, or, yeah. or whatever, or people, or, or people yeah. liking everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we, I mean, this is fact, right? I mean, I see people on social media, I see their little Facebook, you know, circle icon. And then I see their thing banner photo and the circle icon is, has so much editing to the picture that they look nothing like they look that in their banner photo. Right. And I, I'm not making fun of people. Um, but the reality is, is that's a stark contrast to how insightful we are not 
that we don't recognize that everyone else sees us for who we really are when we see them. And we're like, you don't look like that. (laughs) Your your face is narrow. Your eyes are bigger. But the other 800 friends on Facebook who never see us can believe that that's actually us. And they like it. Yeah. Right. They, they comment and say, wow, you look really good in that picture. No one's like, uh, oh my God. Well, I'm not going to say no one because there are some awful people in the world, (laughs) but most people aren't like, we can totally tell you edited your picture. Like you're beautiful as you are. No. Like no what one, if that's how people commented on Facebook, right? Like, no one comments nice editing, right? <laughs> yeah. Or just like, hey, please don't edit your pictures. You're beautiful, mm. right? Yeah, like no. we see it and we're like, man, that's ridiculous, or that's sad, or oh man, I got to do that too. Mm-hmm. Like my teeth aren't wide enough. I need to make sure I get that edit and get them just perfect. Or what app did you use to edit yeah, that? Oh, like, for sure. What filter is that? Yeah, so. and we're so excited when the new filter comes out. <laughs> I think I see people post about oh, this new filter comes out, and it's like. But that is that is the major problem that I think your generation deals with in a way that in history nobody's ever dealt with. And that's not your fault. Again, that's not to shame young adults. It's to speak to the problem so that we can do something about it. Yeah, and I think just touching back on what Drew said on people being one way in church and then a different way at home and then having that um, idea that you can't trust them or you mm-hmm. can't trust the church. And that's how it is in social media too. Like this is what you portray, but this is what I see whenever I have dinner with you. And so this, like, it feels like you can't trust anyone because everyone yeah. is different or everyone has two faces or something like that. And so there's this like, wait, who is actually real all the time? Um, mm-hmm. So when well, you won't know if you don't spend real time with them, I mean, that's really mm-hmm. the thing, yeah. right? Is we really want consistency and structure and, we want to know what we're going to get from people. We want to feel people are authentic and we can trust them. But yeah, yeah when you when you claim Christ and you preach and you talk and you do these things, and you post Bible verses on on social media, and then the next day you're bashing a politician, yeah, and you're talking hatefully and ugly, and then a week later you're you're posting a scripture that says love one another, and then the next week and you're, you're like, talking Wait, about this doesn't. Right. What would Jesus have posted on social media? <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't be on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but what what did Jesus say in John 13? It was, um, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mm -hmm. But we do a poor job a lot of our time uh, in actually loving one another. And it's not just verbal. I mean, love is is action. Absolutely. And love is time. And love is sacrifice. But you can't love people if you don't know them. And so that's, yeah, that's that's our struggle as a generation is, is... it, it sounds so hippie, but like learning how to love one another well or, or accept love like we, we need to be able to, that's, that's, our, that's one of our key struggles is how do we share in that love well and how do we experience where we find that love. Um, and I, one of our friends, Jared, always says you need to know people's names and needs. And that is just a huge thing on learning how to love them is that you have to one know their name, but you have to know what they need too. Oh yeah. And if you're going to know what they need, you have to tell them what you need. And so it's this exchange of being vulnerable and learning about each other, you know, but yeah, I mean, letting people serve you is hard. It's mm-hmm. hard. You know, you, you I'm, I've been doing uh equine therapy for the last six months and, um, I really realized about three session, sessions in, there's this 1,200 pound animal in front of me, and I'm supposed to like get him to do things, and I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing, and um, I'm standing there, and you know, I realized one session that therapist like, what are you feeling, you know, and I'm just kind of standing in this arena, and I'm like, ah, I don't really, you know, feel like he wants to engage with me, and she's like, right, which is why he's not engaging with you, 
you know, like he picks up on how I feel. And I was feeling like, uh, I don't really feel comfortable being vulnerable and asking this horse to engage. Right. And I realized like, I don't feel like I deserve it or I don't feel like he wants to. It's okay. easier for me just to be like, Oh, I don't need it. It's fine. Like I'll just stand here. Right. Well, the horse picks that up and goes, well, okay, well, you're, you're clearly not needing me and you don't want to engage. So I'm just fine standing over here, but I'll connect with you if you really want it. Right. And that's learning to make reasonable requests and ask for what we need. And I think from a generation of young adults who they met, um, vulnerability with trauma, right. They were supposed to get affirmation and affection and attention, not need to ask for it and beg for it. Mm. And I think you guys grew up and we grew up, I mean, needing it, not knowing how to get it. I mean, and generations before, but then the culmination of being able to access that with social media and with instant gratification made up for it, right? Quote unquote made up for it. It has buffered us from completely falling apart because we can just keep maintaining but we're getting to a point in society where we're not able, like it only lasted seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and now the suicide rate, the divorce rate, the abuse rate, the domestic violence rate, the addiction, the depression, the anxiety. I mean, I'm naming all these things not to, to harp on it, but like it's all of them. Yeah. Right. And all of that has paralleled from 2010 to now. And we're all just kind of pretending like that's not the case. You know, I tell people the suicide rate for teen, teens has increased 60, 76% in 10 years. Meaning, out of all the teenagers that we know, 76% more of them are killing themselves. And when I tell people that, they're shocked. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's, that's the most shocking part is that we're shocked by it. Yeah. How are we shocked by the fact that, like, these kids are actually taking their life? Like, who's missing this? Right? I mean, speaking of pandemic... You know, if suicide is double the size, you know, the number of homicides, because it is, right? You can look it up, mm-hmm. CDC website, more, more, double the people kill themselves than somebody else kills mm-hmm. someone else. Yeah, and with, with with kids, I mean, I hate to just pound on social media, but I don't, I, parenting scares me in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if your child is miserable at school, if your child, child is being bullied at school, there's it's no way for them to disconnect from that when they go home. They, yeah. There used to be this time where you could, you know, feel loved at, at, at home and, and, and kind of detox from what might have been going on at, at school. But there's no way to disconnect now. You're, you're constantly connected to those sources of stress. And there's no wonder there's there's kids that are struggling to deal with that oh for sure mm-hmm. you can't get a break from it can't get a break no you can't i mean I, I see it all the time i mean you know there was always bullying and people that give you you know stuff in high school and mess with you and joke with you but yeah you get away from it and now somebody can make an instagram account of you put all your terrible pictures they took of you up mm-hmm. and it's up yeah. and it no one can do anything down. about it and you're at home but you know it's there and you have your phone so now you can engage in that comment and look at that comment and look at those pictures and look at the, you can see your friends go to the party without you, right? You can see somebody mm-hmm. have a birthday party and they got invited and you didn't. It's in your face all the time. Every single day, mm-hmm. all day long. Oh, these people hung out or they went to this or they went to that or. And why didn't they invite me? And then yeah. you're all in your head about it. Right. When in reality, it's because not everybody can invite 400 people to everything they do. You know, it's, it's not personal. But because we're so desperate for connection, you know, it's everything's a personal slight, which is where I think we've moved into this 
kind of victim mentality. Mm-hmm. We haven't healed from our trauma. We haven't recognized what the real enemy is. And so now like everything is just offensive. Right. And I'm not saying that things in the culture aren't offensive, like certainly racism, systemic racism, sexism. There's some major issues, but we almost go to the far, far left of, well, then I can be offended by anything, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's another thing that your generation is struggling with or going to struggle with moving forward. I mean, probably a little younger, but definitely early 20s is this idea of personal responsibility versus like you all owe me something because I'm hurt and offended and how to manage that. Mm hmm makes sense oh yeah i i have no idea how to deal with it (laughs) i'm I'm, yeah you just go on social media and everybody is offended on uh, about everything and and it's not just a left thing it's not just a a far left Mm -hmm. thing i mean uh talk about some of the most people who are triggered by anything are 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 some of my friends on the right and then that any any person who pops up with a different opinion is just offended them and they have to to lash out and that's one of the the dangers of the church. We touched on it very briefly earlier. Is is how do we interact in politics? And um, I think the the people who are best at it are the are the people who can share an opinion in love, and then love people with a different opinion. And um, and fortunately, that's becoming fewer and fewer and fewer people, fewer yeah. and fewer and fewer voices are reasonable and, and are, are friends with people on the other side of an issue. Yeah, because mm-hmm. fewer and fewer people have the skill to differentiate between you know, themselves and somebody else. That somebody having an opinion that's different than them doesn't actually take away from their worth and value. Yeah. Right, that our external things don't dictate internal worth and value. And if we, if we claim to be Christians and we claim to be in Christ, then he says who we are, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And if somebody else says, no, that's not true, or I don't agree with this, or I'm for abortion, or I'm for, I'm against abortion, or I'm for Trump, or I'm for Biden, it has nothing to do with you, yeah. right? And or my value, or my, yeah. like, I'm the same person. Yes, and the way you're going to get them to um, change that opinion is um, pray, because you can't change their opinion. <laughs> my right? Facebook like, posts aren't going to change their opinion? No. What? <laughs> no. No, they may give insight to somebody, which is why when you do it in love and you bring like and you open up on Facebook or you say, Hey, this is my opinion lovingly, people will receive that way more than they're gonna receive. You're wrong. Yeah. You're an idiot. Yep. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. Whatever negative connotation that mm-hmm. it is. I mean, that's what I love about Jesus is, you know, we have these two camps that we live in. You know, the the truth camp and the grace camp. You know, the I'm going to and I feel like it's kind of that's how we are with Democrats and Republicans right now. If you're not a moderate, it's if I'm on the right, I'm going to give you the hard truth. I don't care about your feelings like this is the reality of what Jesus says, even right. Mm. Or this is the gospel or God is, you know, sovereign and this is what he's going to do. Or the left is, well, just love people, be open to what everybody wants, like let people live their life. Don't judge, don't criticize, don't say something's unhealthy or maybe this comes from trauma or maybe this is a problem that's judgmental and critical and that's hate right when in reality jesus did both all the time you know he was super kind super graceful but he also spoke the truth he also said this is hard this is not what you should be doing go and sin no more but he Mm -hmm. did it in a way where he was engaged relationally right which is in my opinion no i don't think your facebook post is going to matter if you're not in relationship with somebody it will matter to somebody who you're in relationship with like if you've had coffee with them five times and then you post something, they may be like, wow, that was really insightful and helpful. That, mm-hmm. that 
that was about this because we talked about it. But someone who doesn't know you. But I would argue, too, that even posting it on Facebook, if I were to call up my friend and say, hey, I don't understand why you did that. Or, like, can you explain why you posted that? Because this is what I think is way more effective than posting on their Facebook wall. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I read this one thing that was like, your Facebook post never changed anybody else's opinion. And it's like, (laughs) that's true. So, like, let's just have conversations about it instead of posting behind this wall of, like, just my profile picture, you know? Yeah. Um, which is, which is, it's the only alternative though. Like it's mm-hmm. that, it's that cognition that this is the only way. Like if I don't ever post on Facebook, what else do I have? Mm-hmm. And that's really why I'm trying to talk about, you know, I know we're harping on social media, but figuring out how young adults, especially early young adults, but even middle, you know, to upper age adults can function without it so that there can be an entire system change change because i mean one of the studies that's coming out is like it's not social media in and itself that's bad like social media would be great if it wasn't so manipulative right as facebook is now and instagram is now and twitter and all these things like it's so awful but we just continue to use it i mean so many parents have their teenagers on tiktok and it's just basically porn and self-harm videos i mean yeah there's some silly stuff but the likelihood of you coming across something you can't unsee is very very high Mm-hmm. And yet they're just, you know, signing up left and right. And then I see people, parents, you know, do a TikTok video with their kid because it's cute or it's fun and they're not doing anything inappropriate. But again, it's it's what are we accepting and allowing and, and supporting when we do that? Mm-hmm. Because other people don't know that that's the only time you've ever done it or that you monitor your kid's device or that they don't have it on their phone. And you, like, does that make sense? There's a potential for great harm. Yes. Yeah. It Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And two, like, I don't think we can figure out how to do social media well as young adults until we're not addicted to it. And so this, like, break for 90 days or this break for six months is important because then you know you can live without it. And so you can then monitor yourself and say, like, I'm going to only do social media for an hour every three days or something like that so that I'm still on it and I'm still in that world with other people but I'm also not only in that world like I have a life I have real connection with real people outside of that um, but I don't think we can figure out how to do it well until we stop for a time and then bring it back in and maybe I'm wrong no but. I think you're 100% right because we're talking about the basic uh, building blocks of life I mean Maslow's hierarchy of need the top point of the the hierarchy is self-actualization where you can fully function, be in control, be aware of yourself, have insight, right? Scripture would call this wisdom literature, being able to know yourself, know God, know your purpose, listen to the Holy Spirit. But if your basic needs aren't met, which are food, sex, water, drugs, I mean, connection, right? These things that, not drugs, um, these, these, yeah, food, water, (laughs) sex, um, connection, relationships, right? But in that second tier of relationships, you, you don't really have relationships. You have social media, right? You have dopamine. You have, that's why I meant by drugs. You have this false sense of connection. Then, you know, you're not going to get to self-actualization. So how are you going to manage something that is, you know, not, you can't control it. You can't think outthink it when you're not at your A game. So yeah, I think you have to, you have to step down and get your brain realigned and figure out who you are and figure out, who your real friends are, how you're going to do social media, how you're going to, and then agree together. This is the problem with parents right now. I mean, I'm saying like, Hey, if you have a, like my kids. Okay. So you're saying, I don't know what to do. This is my goal for people. 
if you're a young adult and you're a new parent, right? You're 30, you're 28, you got a couple kids. You need to realize that number one, you're addicted to social media. And so you need to figure out how to get off of it and deal with Mm -hmm. it. And then you need to know how to have real community because in my friend group, Mm -hmm. if I go over to someone's house and they have Alexa in their kid's bedroom, I unplug it. Right. I say, Hey, can we take this out of your office or your room right now? Or can they not have this? Because I don't want my kid talking to the internet alone in the room. And if when my kids are eight and nine, I'm going to already be having conversations saying, Hey, when do you guys plan on giving your kids phones? Because let's all agree that we're not going to do that so that when we hang out and we cook out and we have friends and we do D group, my kid's not saying, well, I'm the only one who doesn't have it. Does that make sense? We've all kind of signed this um, contract together socially where we just let everybody do whatever without talking to each other about how we're going to do it together. Does that make sense? And then the comparison comes in where it's like, well, I need to be a better parent than that parent. So my kid's going to get the better phone. Not that, you know, Well, that just makes it a thousand times worse. Yes. Yeah. But if we can have communities where we go back to the basics of community and we say, Hey, before we get into this situation, uh, and, and you couldn't do that before. Again, the, the problem is, is that this tech thing hit and the phone hit and we didn't know any of this. What I'm talking about is what do we do for the next generation? Mm-hmm. Right. What are these young adults, you guys who are going to become parents, who are going to become caregivers? How do you transition the, your kids into a safer, more thought out environment to where because it's not going to be the same if you do it differently? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think my fear even with a six and three year old is oh my gosh, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, what do I do? And then I keep having to say, well, I prepare them. I train them. I, I engage with my friends and say, hey, look, we're not doing this. You know, if you got Wi-Fi at your house, my 12-year-old's not coming over if he can get on it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I need you to block your Wi-Fi. But that means you have to have some good friends. You have to have mm-hmm. trust. You have to have hard conversations. You have to explain. I mean, my wife was laughing the other day because she's, you know, every friend, new friend we hang out with, she's always like, have you read these two books? You know, good pictures, bad pictures, and God made all of me. You know, are you talking to your kid about, you know, safe touch and about showing their private parts? Do they know what those, you know, because our kid's going to go over there. And I want my kid around kids who are safe, who understand the language, who who know not to touch so that I can stand in the kitchen and talk to these other kids with my kid in the room. And I can trust that they're safe. Yeah. And because of overexposure and because of technology and because of what everybody's watching on Netflix and on YouTube and on everything else, you don't know. But if we... I, I would rather risk losing friends and not hanging out than going and engaging in something where a simple conversation around which book are you reading or, hey, could you read this the next couple of weeks could save all of us a lot of heartache and a lot of headache. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, again, com- I'll come back to community. Um, if, we, if we are engaged in healthy communities, we can get through this together. But if we're isolated, we, we really have no chance. So. Um, it's just vital to plug in and to find people who are similarly minded to you and who want the same things and are willing to walk with you through that, through it. So, yeah, I mean, ooh, this, this social media detox, it's intimidating for me, but, uh, yeah, I might, I might have to try that with my, with my D group, try to yeah. all, all disengage for a period of time. It'd be fun. But I think too, if you're looking at it from a church perspective, which we are today, is that like biblical community the whole purpose is to glorify the lord and everything you do and so mm-hmm. once you detox from social media it's like okay how do i use this to glorify the lord because that's my only purpose here now and so like um figuring that out but you 
like Drew said, you can't figure that out in isolation. It's not just going to be you and God talking about how you can use your social media, but it's going to come from community with other people. And um, one of my favorite things that you said from this past Monday night is that um, God made Eve before the fall Mm. for Adam. Like that just, um, I had not thought about that either. And I've read Genesis a lot, but it's like we were created for community even before sin ever entered the picture, you know? And so it's, one of these things where it's an innate part of who we are and what we desire. God himself has community with himself. And so we were created to have community with other people. And when you're isolated from that, a core part of who you are is not being fed. Right. And your connection with God is disconnected Mm -hmm. because he's not just saying it's enough for you to be in a closet praying to me in a monastery somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like I heard somebody say, you know, I, you know, they traveled, they went to this monastery because they were freaking out. They had anxiety, had social anxiety, had all these problems. They were like, I got to get out of here. And he said, I traveled a thousand miles and my mind didn't, didn't move. Right. My mind came with me. I'm in this monastery, still anxious and depressed and mm. irritated. Mm-hmm. It's not getting outside of these things. Now, sometimes a break's great. Right. Yeah. But the reality is, is that you can move around, you can travel, you can go do all these things. But if you don't love yourself, if you don't feel worthy of love, if you don't feel, you know, accepted, then that just comes with you and whoever you're engaging with in those moments are the same. And so, you know, one thing, you know, that I see a lot in my office, and I said this Monday too, is just that idea that, you know, God is our parents, right? We we grow up as young adults thinking that the God of the Christian God is, is our parent, right? They're authoritarian. They're, you know, they dictate everything we do. They, you know, they, they're mad at us and they punish us. And, you know, because that's the only model we've had, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, little subtle things like, hey, Dad, I built this block castle for you and and don't you love me now and it's like no i love you because you're my son right right i love you because i created you you can't do anything for me to love you right my oldest came up and said that i'm like get out of here kid like i love you because you're you're mine and god feels that same way about us but we've forgotten that because we haven't seen that modeled in our own homes a lot and they didn't see it modeled again it's not the parent blame game it's just where we're at is that these generational products of sin and brokenness and dysfunction in the family have creeped its head on young adults right now in 2020 in a way that is just very unique to y'all. And you're dealing with a lot of problems that are new that society has never dealt with on top of the typical trauma and the typical family system and the typical shame at such a high rate, the busyness, the rush, the constant gratification, the constant need for affirmation and attention and affection. Mm -hmm. It's just all the time and you never get a break from it. And until we slow our brains down and detox from some of this stuff and figure out how to have community a different way, we, we're not going to be able to re-engage with it and know what we're actually doing and know that we're doing this for me and my heart, not just kind of running the, the wheel of life. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we got a few more minutes. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about dating in 2020. Um, well, I think one of the things that, young, you know, you guys are both, I know you both have some significant others. Um, and the reality is, is that one of the things that, I mean, even at 37, I mean, I think it was a little bit because of social media and issues. I mean, again, we're talking about social media, but this is your world, right? But like, I, I went and picked girls up at their house in my car and met their parents. Like, I don't think that's a thing that most young adults are doing these days. Is that true? I don't know. I think they should. 
No, we're not talking um, about what they should. We're talking about what's happening. <laughs> yeah, whether they do. Yeah, no, everybody's everybody's meeting uh, one-on-one. There's, there's, that's that's how you, I mean, you go on Hinge or you go on Bumble. I was going to say, you, you know connect. what changed the dating game? Oh, God, it's I don't know what those apps. things are, so tell me. Yeah. Dating yeah. apps. Oh, and for sure. I wrote this down because that was, but like with dating apps, you are given the idea that there's this endless pool of people that you can date. Because when mm. you swipe right, there's somebody new right there. And yeah. so you get so picky and so like, oh, there's all these people that could be possible. And there's not, like, it's this false sense of like, everyone's out there and it's not true. So, now, now, tell me about, well, there's, what are those apps? So there, there are apps <laughs> I know that Tinder connect. And like Grindr and right, right, there, there's apps that connect people. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's apps that are targeted towards physical connection, kind of like Tinder, Grindr, what you're talking about. Um, and then, uh, but, there are ones that are kind of more focused on building, like forming dating relationships. Christian like, Mingle, or yeah, you got Christian Mingle. Yeah. You got farmers uh, only. Is one of them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those are, those are for making the the connection. But I really don't feel like after you make the connection, the the game has changed. You still need to go meet that person face to face. You still got to go grab caf- grab coffee. Uh, get lunch together, you still got to meet that person's family, engage with that, what that person loves to do. Cause if that person's not going to be able to plug in with you at what you love to do, it's not going to work out. So, mm-hmm. so I think the way that we connect is different, but dating hasn't changed that much or shouldn't well, yeah. change that well, much. You said shouldn't, but I, it definitely has. I was about to say, <laughs> I agree that it shouldn't. Uh, and I know you're, you know, you're 30. So right. that that does put you on the farther end, like you still kind of fall into a category where you still have some of that old way of thinking about it. I think more yeah. so than even five years later, right? Mm-hmm. That's the problem again with it, this this young adult spread, is that between you two, and then between me, are lifetimes of difference, mm-hmm. you know, and we just don't realize how subtle that is that in five years things can just turn so quickly, like apps and products and technology and the way we do it. So. Let's let the young one, uh, the, the youngest young one. one. Oh, wow. yeah, and, and even, and that, again, like you're 25, like you're a yeah. grown adult working in a career, yeah. right? And that's that's another part of like young, it's such a wide gap that like, I feel 25, but like I realize sometimes when I hang out with 25 year olds that I'm 30, <laughs> I'm almost 40, you know? Like, yeah. so speak to, you said that's how it should be, but it's not. So what do you see kind of being the train wreck of, of dating life, especially um, from a female perspective, but that's. Yeah, and so I'm going to talk not from necessarily personal experience, so I'm not trying to... Yeah, your boyfriend's great. Yeah, he's awesome, so (laughs) we're going to say that this is not about him. But um, I have a lot of friends who are on dating apps and um, things like that, and one of the things I see that's just so... I don't know, it's so interesting is that girls still want to be pursued and girls still want to... um, fill that role of like, you're taking care of me. Um, you're the one leading this relationship and things like that. And like, um, I can't tell you how many of our friends are like, okay, I'm going to meet this guy. Um, we met on hinge. And so then they turn their location on. So I know where they are and they're not going to get kidnapped and things like, like, these are not things we thought about five years ago, you know? Um, but okay. You're sharing your location with me. I'm calling you in seven minutes to make sure he's there. And like, you know, things like that. And you're not scared and need to walk out, you know? Um, and then they're like, have this dinner. And (laughs) it's never even thought of this. I never even thought of that. Wow. Yeah. Keep going. And then, 
you have dinner and you have the same conversation. Who are you? What do you do? What do you like to do in your free time? Like, da, 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 da. And then you get the check and he doesn't pay. And then you walk out and he still wants to go on another date. And they're like, no, like, this was not fun for me. You know, you didn't pay for my meal and things like that. And so it's just this like, which is a, I mean, that's a touchy subject in the culture of 2020. Like this idea that men should pay for your meal or shouldn't, you know, there, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some good comments on the, on the feed for this. Oh yeah. (laughs) But the reality is, is like, you're right though. Like there is something, that's what I mean. Like we don't know how to do it. Right. I'm not, I'm not, and I know Becca, you're not saying that's how it should be. You're saying that there are these things in our culture that have always been, and we don't know how, like they've changed subtly, but then now they've changed even more drastically with the way that things go with technology and, and anonymous dating mm-hmm. expectations. And then you have all these dating shows on Netflix and oh, stuff gosh. like that. And you're like, what, this is not real. And, but I think one of the biggest things is that we don't have any clear expectations for what we want. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, it's like it's take like, care of me and pay for my dinner, but don't disrespect me and. But show like, me. also, I'm a woman and I can do whatever I want. Yes. And feminism and like you can go into all of these different things, but it's like there's no clear expectation and, and I think one of the biggest things dating in 2022 as a young adult is some people are looking for marriage and looking for that like forever, and some people aren't. They're like, I just want to have fun right now and like just have you come to weddings with me, but I'm not ready to talk about forever or I'm not ready for that like type of commitment in my Mm -hmm. life. Like, and so you have, but then you can't see somebody like, so then can you see other people? Like, can you go on other wedding dates? Like, yeah, exactly. And so you have this dating that's like not always ending in marriage or you have this, like all these people that want to do the same thing of dating, but they don't want it for the same reasons and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so you're like, um, so are we seeing other people or is this just me and you now? Like, yeah. where are we in this? Where are we on the spectrum? Like, is this actually going somewhere or is this just me and you having fun? Cause you're craving connection since we've been in COVID, you know? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, it's always been the, when do you call somebody after a date, you know, conversation? Like I heard somebody la- last week, they're like, no, you definitely don't do that. Like you have to give it, let them work for it. Let them, let them stir in it. And it's like, wow. You know, like that's always been super unhealthy in my opinion. Like oh, it's so be authentic, unhealthy. you know, yes. like be congruent, like ask for what you need, you know, say what you want, set expectations. But again, that's always been a problem, but now it's a problem for a culture who everything is through text. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. talked, I don't know if I said this Monday, but you know, you remember like five years ago when, um, when we would say something like, uh, you know, now be careful. Don't text that way because you would never say that in person. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if you're seeing an email for work, you're like, well, be careful how you send it. We'll wait until you can see them in person because you, you, it's going to come off wrong. Mm-hmm. How many arguments and fights and, you know, dramas have gone down because somebody misread a text message. Right. right. And that was a conversation we'd have. And so people would realize like keyboard warriors say stuff behind the screen. They'd never say to somebody's face and all that. But then the debates happened this last last week. And it's almost like Twitter was live played on television. Like now we've mm-hmm. moved from people saying you would never talk like that in public to no, that is how we communicate. We yeah. do say very provocative, very direct, very Twitter tweet text esque yeah. conversations with some girl you just met. Mm-hmm. Like if you can swipe left and right, you know, how do you go on a date and see him and go, Oh, I don't like it. He's got glasses on. I'm done. 
Exactly. And so you get so picky because you feel like you can build exactly what you want and it's out there somewhere. And that's just not true. Like we're human. I'm not going to be a perfect fit for anybody. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, it's so. also, it's again, it's consumerism. It's consumerism. You know, one of the analogies that I love is uh, this idea. It's this rabbi and he's walking down the street and he sees this um, guy and he's got this fish and he's eating the fish. And he says, oh, I see you caught the fish, you know. And he said, yeah, I love fish. He says, oh, you love fish. So you saw the fish, you got the fish, and you ate the fish because you love it. And so much of American culture and culture in general is fish love. It's I see something that will do something for me that I like that will benefit me. And so I love it. You know, it's the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. It's the, you know, it's, I'm going to. I hate that line. Yeah, but the reality is, is that it comes from deficits. Yeah. Right? It comes from family system issues where you don't feel enough, where you saw your mom and dad not together, where you got, you know, traumatized by a man or a woman or both. And now you're saying, if I finally can find this other person, I can find my peace and my safety and my security. They can make me feel loved. They can love me for who I am. They can see me intimately. Right? That, that hopefully is the goal. Mm-hmm. But if that's the goal, then that has to always be part of the plan. And what I see is, is that people want that. They want connection. They want to be known. They want to be valued, but they want to skip all the steps that it takes yeah. to get there. To get there, they want to arrive, and, and, which is instant like, gratification. Yes. Yeah, man, and, tying and it I, together. I, I, <laughs> on dating, I feel like one of the difficulties we do have is because we are so focused on, on, a, on a curated image of ourselves and, and projecting this image that is very hard to be known in the most intimate of relationships, marriage. Uh, so as we're preparing to, to, and we're dating someone, seeing if that could be a, a spouse, um, it's very hard when we're still obsessed with making sure they see the image that we want them to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. it goes back it goes back to what we've been discussing like this whole time is how how is this... Um, social media presence, how is this uh, curated image of ourselves that we project, how is that affecting us? Well, it's affecting the way that we can connect in community, but it's also affecting the way that we connect and form the most intimate of relationships. And I do think that's an obstacle young adults are going to have to face is how can we be vulnerable and authentic in the closest of relationships when when we've never learned how to do that in the first place? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think the answer to, for me for a lot of it is just education and conversation yeah. is being real is having people in your life who tell you what it's like to be married mm-hmm. you know, like who, what it's really like yeah, not like, like it's this perfect yeah like that people's breath stink yeah. you know and that you know you're you know I saw this we were watching this show the other day and it's like this couple they had sex and then the girl like sneaks into the bedroom and like does all her makeup and stuff and then like jumps back in the bed and she's like laying there like she always looked like that the whole night you know yeah. and it's like that's what people see and expect and it's like no like your breath stinks somebody's got to take a shower like somebody's full like you you know you engage in these intimate ways but it's not the movies right it's yeah. not this you know this euphoric high that everything is is given to us it's Mm -hmm. real life you know parenting is real life there's real struggles there's realities you know you don't always look good you everybody has a double chin when you take a picture from this way you know like but that's a thing that we we trick ourselves to think you know we're like i'm gonna get this perfect angle so my jawline's good and so everything's great and then you have to meet the person and go to lunch with them and and, you know get to know them and you're like yeah you don't even look like the person that's in the picture and so you're right it it we're we're showing false selves to each other and then expecting to be able to be vulnerable and be intimate and be connected and yes the biggest fear is rejection 
you know, the biggest fear is showing up and somebody being like, you're not enough, which is why it's so important for us to know ourselves, for us to know that God loves us, for us to have good friends and trustworthy people in our lives who are pouring into us with the truth so that when we meet a person who doesn't see us for who we are, we know that really quickly and we move on. Mm. You know, we're able to go, you know what? I love myself. I like how I am. I like that I'm this way. I like that I'm nerdy and like this stuff. These are the things that I enjoy and I'm not going to hide them because the people in my life who I have dinner with, who I spend time with, who I have coffee with, who I keep their kids, they know me, they see me, they know my faults. So if this man or this woman doesn't. It's not a reflection on me. No. And that's hard. Oh, it's really hard. That is a hard place to be. It's a hard place to get to. But it's it's impossible alone. Mm Mm-hmm. It's impossible without those people that you come back from that date and you go, man, I just really, you know, I, I didn't feel good today. I, I didn't say this the right thing. And, and they're like, no, you're, you know, we love you because you're funny and you're hilarious. And this is what we like about you. And yeah, you're a little weird about that, but that's why, you know, yeah. and then you find those, and then you want to bring that person into that community. Cause that's the other thing about it that I, I want people to understand is you go to a wedding and so many times you forget that all the people that are in that wedding are your community, that it, yeah. they're all involved. They should be involved in that process. That it's not just about you and your special day and mm-hmm. your, you know, $10,000 cake. You know, it's about community and connection and support because they're going to be with you in your marriage, not just in your wedding. And that is just so true all around is that like whenever you are dating like yes you start off on these dates with just you and this one person but the reality is you don't live your life alone and so that person's going to have to fit into your friend group um your church group your family like these are you don't just get married and move on an island by yourself like you still have to deal with the people in your life Mm -hmm. and so if they don't like that person like huge rift you Mm -hmm. know um and so and I feel like dating in 2020 is, it's harder to bring them into those communities and things like that. Just, um, it's easier to be like, let's just go get dinner by ourselves instead of like, For hey, sure. these are some people who are very important to me. Will you come to dinner with me and them and let's all hang out, you know? But, yeah. And like, I think to circle back to COVID, I mean, I think that's another reason why people don't realize how bad isolation and the masks and all these things are on the mental health aspect. And I'm not saying what we should or shouldn't do about that. But there's no doubt that it's causing major problems. Like, we already have a hard time with all this stuff as it is, as we've kind of (laughs) unraveled here. But then you add in, like, oh, you should be meeting with families and connection. But, like, now you can't. Because if you go over to this person's house and meet their parents, their grandparent, you know, like, it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess. So I think, you know, the message that I want for young adults is is that you're not uniquely broken. That you have some very special... Um, first time in history things that you're dealing with, but that you're, it's not unknown. There's not answers to how to solve those problems. It's just that the way that it's going, you can't get to the root causes. You can't do life the way that you do without having a life that you have experienced in real community and real connection. You can do, you can be on social media. You can engage in TikTok videos. You can do all those kind of things. But what you can't do is have grown up developmentally with those forever and be able to do them well. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a time period in your life where you get control over your neurology and your impulses and not only you, but your community involved with you, even if it's four friends, you know, and then y'all together hold each other accountable. Because again, in order to hold somebody accountable, you have to know them and they have to know themselves. And so you can say, Hey, 
I know we're all getting back on social media now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to check in. We're going to do this. We're going to make sure we're not falling back into those same patterns. And, you know, because we all know it. We all know when we click on an Instagram story and we're like, oh, I wish that was me. Or I should look like that. Or I should do that. Mm-hmm. Or, man, maybe they maybe they went on vacation. Like, I wish I was on vacation. Like, mm-hmm. like I want to be in Texas and Cancun, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, I want to be on the beach in Cancun yeah. doing a podcast. <laughs> Let's, let's do it there next time. Yeah, exactly. Location change. Maybe one, maybe one day. You know? <laughs> but no, you're right. It's 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 normal. But that's why that's why things like y'all exist. That's why things like that's why we try to build build healthy churches. Absolutely. That's why we have this podcast. That's mm-hmm. why we have counselors. Is there is hope out there? Absolutely. Um, there is ways to find peace and healing. Um, just it's not found in isolation no nope. so let's not sit there it's good and it's not i mean i guess for me the biggest thing is like know your worth in christ like know who he is know who he created you to be know who he's calling you to be um because in like you said until you love yourself and realize how valuable you are um as a person and to him um and what you bring to relationships and things like that you're never gonna um value yourself enough to find good community right for Um, sure and that's and that's because of who god says you are not because of mm -hmm. who you are exactly right it's it's that god is so good and so loving and so rich in the way that he loves us that we don't have to stand in shame that we can stand in who he says we are because i think that that is the other slippery slope is as young adults thinking that the story is about us you know we're adopted we're david in the stories you know we're slaying our giants we're the good samaritan when in reality, like we're the Israelites, we're in the ditch. Like Jesus is the yeah. reason we have worth and value, mm-hmm. and, and the new creation that He makes us. Yes, you know. And then we can go out and stand in that, boast in our weaknesses, realize we're a mess, realize we're awkward, <laughs> realize we're overweight, realize we're ugly, realize whatever it is that the situation is, yeah. but we still have intrinsic worth and value that is not determined by those things. Yeah, and neither mm-hmm. death nor life nor powers nor social media nor anything can separate you from that that's right mm-hmm. good stuff well i appreciate you guys coming on and talking and hanging out with us no this was fun this yeah, was good. fun i think we covered some good topics um yeah if you're looking for yala it's on monday nights uh, young adults louisiana Bromer baptist they start about seven o'clock hang out about six thirty. um you can find them on social media uh <laughs> But make sure you detox before you get there. Find a better way to connect with people. Yeah, maybe we'll send carrier pigeons and postcards. Absolutely, (laughs) carrier pigeons are the way to go. You just gotta clean up all the poop. Thank you, Clint. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.